Okay, well, welcome everyone. Glad to see all of you, those that will be watching this via YouTube. Uh, it's good to have you with us. We are actually going to continue on our series of teachings on the mind-brain connections. We're going to get into the Song of Solomon tonight. Now, when I teach this mind-brain connection from the Song of Solomon, I'm not going to take it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I did that about 15 years ago before I knew any of you all. We took it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we taught on the Song of Solomon. But this is going to be a little bit different. What I'm going to do is go into the book of the Song of Solomon and just pull out some key verses and some key phrases that would connect with this series on mind-brain connections. And so if you have your Bibles or your devices tonight, you want to follow along as I read. I'll be reading in chapter 1 of Song of Solomon. And this is a love story from the Father to us on the inside of us. It is called many times the Canticle of Solomon or Solomon's Canticle. So we're going to begin to get into this. And as I said, I want to just pull out some key verses and some key phrases and some key words as we deal with this mind-brain connection. So I'm going to begin reading right off the bat here tonight in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And notice what it says here, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, what does that mean, the Song of Songs? If you sang a song that in your mind was a song of songs, it would have to be the greatest song that you've ever sung. It would have to be the highest song that you've ever sung. Mm -hmm. Now, a song is not just something that we sing with our mouth verbally, you know, with uh, words and stanzas and, uh, stanzas and a chorus, but a song can be and depict our lifestyle. You've heard people, you know, they say, you know, my husband used to do this when he would make fun of me. And I'd be saying something or maybe complaining about something. He'd go like this. He'd get the old fiddle going like this. You know, it's a, you're singing a song, right? You're playing a fiddle. Same thing over and over. Well, here in Song of Solomon, what this Song of Songs is about, it really was Solomon's song, and it was his song to us within us. So keep that in mind. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, it's his love song to us, within us, as us. And I want to read a scripture in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Here it says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard, listen to this, in a very fruitful hill. So when we are in a place in our life where we are experiencing him, and we're not just experiencing fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow, but we're beginning to live from the inside out, from what the right hemisphere of the brain represents, which is the mind of Christ and a seeing by the single eye and spontaneous and purposeful meditation. When we're living from the inside out, that is when we transition from experiencing fruit that's, you know, not lasting, but we begin to experience fruit that remains. So this song is connected with fruit that remains. And that's what it says there in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. So the song is connected when you and I are singing the highest song that there is. Or let me say it this way. When Christ within us is singing to us as us, 
then we have come to a place where we truly are living from the inside out and we can expect to experience whatever it is we experience, whether it be health, whether it be finances, whether it be relationship, whether it be in the mental realm, the social realm, we can begin to experience that fruit that remains. Not something that's here for a little while and then it's gone. And we've all experienced that. We've experienced that in healing where, you know, we got a healing. Someone laid hands on us and we got healed from a disease or something. Only to have that same disease or another disease come back to our body. So I believe where we are in the body of Christ is we are moving into a place of permanency. We're moving into this place where what we are experiencing, because we're drawing from our own well, remember Jesus said, physician, heal thyself. What does that mean? We're drawing from our own well. The health that our Father is as us is a revelation to us, and we're beginning to live from the inside out or draw from our own well. And that's when the health and all of these provisions that he's already given us and are within us become something that is permanent. Now notice what he goes on to say then in verse 2. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now, what does it mean to be kissed by the kisses of his mouth? Well, to be kissed by the higher thoughts is what it means. When the thoughts of Christ within us begin to come over to the left side, and the two begin to experience that oneness where thoughts are concerned, that is him kissing this side within us, kissing the left side with the revelation or with the words of his mouth. We know that words denote breath. We know that words denote being kissed. Words denote mouth. And then the last part of that says, for thy love is better than wine. What does that mean? That simply means that when we're kissed with the revelation from the right to the left side, what is taking place is it's better than wine. In other words, it's better than anything you can take into yourself from the external realm. You become intoxicated. You become, you come to the place to where that which has to do with the five senses, you don't pay any attention to that any longer because you're so far above all of that. Now, you know, we liken this, and I'll try not to be too graphic tonight, but we liken this to a husband and a wife that are having intimate relations. That is exactly what is taking place. The husband and the wife lay down on the bed. Many times they get naked. There's an intercourse that takes place. There is a sperm that goes from the husband into the womb of the woman. That's the same thing that's happening here because when you see the word word as in word of God, it's a Greek word that is denotes sperma, the seed of God, then goes from this right side into the left side or into the womb of the woman. And as in the natural, so in the spiritual. And that's really what we are experiencing when we're talking about this. Now, let me talk about the bridegroom and the bride. The bridegroom represents, of course, Christ, represents the mind of Christ, represents the Father or the I Am Consciousness. And we know that the constellations, we've talked a little bit about the constellations, we know that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And so it represents the realm of spirit. It represents heaven not only outwardly in the constellations, but it also represents the heavens within you and I. What is heaven? Heaven is the realm of spirit, including the spirit within us. Now that's all taken in. That's all a part of the bridegroom. 
What about the bride? Because we read in Song of Solomon, it talks about the king, and then it talks about the Shulamite. The king would represent the right side, the Christ. The Shulamite would represent the womb of the spirit or the womb, you see, that has to be impregnated by the seed, the sperma of God. So bride then represents the center. It represents, I'm going to say it this way, it represents the spirit womb, if you will. It represents the higher emotions. It represents the awareness, and it also represents the earth. Remember when Jesus said, and he was talking about the sower sows the seed, and he said the ground receives the seed, and he said in one place the ground is the heart. That's the left side. That's the heart awareness. That's where the seed has got to be sown. What for? So the two can become one. Now we're already one, but so we can consummate the marriage between the right and the left. And you see, we see that all the way through the Word of God. Yes, we're one in Him. Yes, we've never been separate from Him. Yes, we've always been one in the Father and in Spirit. But what we want to do now is consummate the message, or the, the, the marriage, excuse me, consummate the marriage between the right and the left, between the bridegroom and the bride, between the mind of Christ and that seed coming into the womb. So Song of Solomon then, this whole book is about experiencing the oneness. Not just knowing that we've always been one, but now experiencing it. There's a difference. Walking in it. It is about taking ourselves up into the higher chamber or the upper room, getting naked from all of the religious ideas and the concepts that we have held to, and allowing the Christ, the seed, the sperma to penetrate the womb of the spirit on the left side so that we can birth the man-child or we can birth Christ. Now, verse 2, as verse 2 says there, let him, notice him is what? The masculine principle. We know that the left is what? The feminine principle. And it says here, let him kiss me. In other words, again, how does he kiss us with the kisses of his mouth? Simply by the words or the revelation that is being revealed to us in the spirit womb or in the feminine principle or in this part over here. Now, when we started this series, I told you that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the left side. God gave us the left side. It has to do with our emotions. It has to do with our, our reasoning ability. It has to do with our intellect. But what we don't want to do is just live from the left side in and of itself. We want that left side to be submitted, if you will, to the Christ mind, to the single eye. And we do that through our spontaneous and through our purposeful meditation. That is what really begins to start the process of consummating the left and the right together. And what happens when he kisses us with the kisses of his mouth is we are receiving the revelation that is quickened to us by our spirit and all of the observances that we have held to, all of the literal ritualistic things that we've held to in our religion begins to be swallowed up, it begins to be, it begins to be diminished, if you will, and we no longer, of course, would be practicing those things. So what we have to understand is this is strictly between our spirit and between the left side or that which has to do with the mind. Now, again, what is the purpose in Song of Solomon for the king and the Shulamite to become one experientially? What is the purpose of Song of Solomon for us? Because we're not looking at this in a historical sense. What we're looking at is this is happening on the inside of us. 
It's happening within, it's all from Genesis to Revelation. You can look at all of the stories. And as I said many times, we don't want to stay with just the historicity of those stories. We want to see how those are playing out within our lives, how those are happening within our lives. Now let's read on here in verse 2 of Song of Solomon 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. In other words, when you receive revelation from the right, from the Christ mind, from the Spirit, when you receive that revelation over here on the left side, that is when you're being kissed, you see, by the sperma of the word. That is when Christ is kissing you or he's embracing you with the truth of his word. See, that's an awesome thing for us to realize. Even though we've always been one, we haven't walked as one. Even though we've always been one, you know, we came here embracing religiosity and, and we embraced what, you know, what uh, religion taught us and we thought we came here, you know, as an unrighteous sinner. We came here unholy. We came here with an Adamic identity. We came here with a corrupted nature and Jesus had to go to the cross. This is what we believed. He had to go to the cross to take us out of the sinful nature and give us a divine nature. He had to go to the cross to take us out of an Adamic identity and put us in the identity of Christ. But that's not the truth. We got that from religion. We got that from believing the lie. So what happened is we got amnesia. And we forgot who we were. That's See, that's what happened to Adam. He forgot who he was. He thought he could do something to become like God. And the reason why is because he had a body. And he thought, well, since I have a body, I certainly don't look like God. I'm certainly not in his image and likeness because I have this body with these five senses. And so he thought he could do something to become like God. And that's what happened to us. Because we embrace religiosity, we got this amnesia, we thought we had to do something to be like him. We thought we had to do something to become righteous and holy when we always were all along. But what happened is, and what had to happen is, we needed to experience what we're talking about here. We needed to have the sperm be deposited in our womb so that we could come to the realization and the discovery of that which was always true about us. Like I've used many times the Wright brothers and how they did not invent the law of lift or the law of aerodynamics. They discovered that. And as a result of their discovery, they began the process of flying. And the same way with us. We were saved. We were chosen. We were called from before the foundation. It tells us in 2 Timothy 1 uh, verse 9 and it tells us in Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4. We came here saved. Oh boy. <laughs> People don't like to hear that. We came here saved. Yes, we came here saved. We came here chosen. We came here called. We came here righteous. But we had to discover that. Now, I know we've all probably come, you know, by walking down the green mile, confessing our sin and thinking that Jesus jumped into us somehow. But what it really was was a discovery. So, you know, I don't want anyone to feel guilty or bad about that. That's just where we were at the time. But what it was was really a discovery. Now, let me read that again. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. In other words, when we're kissed with the kisses of his mouth from the right to the left, it's better than anything that you could experience in the external realm. It'll intoxicate you. It'll bring you to the place to where you could care less about the five sense realm, to where you could care less about what you see with the seeing of the eye or what you hear with the hearing of the ears. You could care less about, but you are focused and you are honed in and you are viewing everything with a single eye. 
Now, if you'll hang on to Song of Solomon, let me have you quickly go to Psalm 33 and verse 6. <clears throat> Psalm 33 and verse 6. And here it talks about the breath of the mouth. It talks a little <coughs> bit about the breath of the mouth. Song of Solomon 1-2 talked about the kisses of his mouth. This in Psalm 33-6 talks about the breath of his mouth. So notice what it says in Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. What is that talking about? By the breath of his mouth. Now, many times what we have thought was the Shekinah glory of God. You know, the people from the east don't really believe that the Shekinah glory of God is just associated with the right hemisphere or the right side or the mind of Christ. The people, the ancient people of the East also believed that the Shekinah had to do with the left hemisphere or the womb of the spirit. Now, I say that because I believe that there is a part in us that has been completely untouched by man. Yeah. Completely. I believe that there is a part within you and I in this left side even though on the surface we've received all of these, you know, ritualistic lies and false concepts and ideas, I believe there's a part in there in us that has never, ever been touched with religion. And it is called, and we'll deal with this later, it's called the virgin consciousness. Revelation talks about it. We're going to see this in other places. So here, again, let me read this back in Psalm 33, 6 again. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made... And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So this part of the left side is the feminine principle. This on the right we know is the masculine principle. So the Shekinah of the right side touches the Shekinah of the left side, if I can say it that way. And I say that because there's a part in there that has never been touched by religion Never been touched by man whose breath is in his nostrils. Never been touched by man. It was preserved. It was reserved in there for what we're talking about now. Now, let me say this. In John 20, in verse 20, where it states that Jesus, in fact, he said these words, he breathed upon the people and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He breathed upon the people and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, what we believed in the past was, the second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe that that was something that we had to pray for, believe for, and then all of a sudden we're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, operate in the gifts, talk in tongues, whatever. But you see that word breathe where it says he breathed on them and said receive you the Holy Ghost. The word breathe is P-H-U-O in the Greek, and what it means is simply to rise up, to germinate, and to rise up. And then the rest of the verse says, he breathed on them, and he said, listen to this, unto them, receive, and that word receive is lambano, and it just means to grasp it. Wow. To grasp it within yourself, to grasp it, you see. So what are we talking about? We're talking about something that is happening within us. We're talking about the Shekinah glory that's in the right and the Christ, in the masculine part, but we're talking about there's a, a part of us even over here on the left side that has been reserved that is Shekinah glory as well. And we're going to deal with that in the Song of Solomon a little bit more. Now, let's go back to Song of Solomon 1 and read again the last part of verse 2. Notice what it says there. For thy love is better than wine. So what this is inferring here 
is the love paralyzes the lower thoughts. You know, when people are involved in lovemaking, you know, it's almost like there's a death that takes place. There's a, a total commitment. There's a total surrender. And you could say, in a sense, it's almost like they're paralyzed by the love or the, their lover that is loving on them. And you see, as I said earlier, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, it is likened, this is likened, what we're talking about is likened to that which is involved in lovemaking. And it's also likened to that which takes place when one gets into meditation, especially when it's dark, and the melatonin begins to be secreted. What takes place there is from the solar plexus, the energy begins to flow and it comes up to the seventh energy field, the Sabbath, and it causes the body to enter into rest. And let me just say this, you know, when, when two people, male and female, are involved in lovemaking, at the end it's like they have reached that climactic experience and it's the same thing that takes place as in the natural, so in the spiritual. They get naked. We get naked from all the false ideas and all the false concepts. And we go into this where there's actually a penetration that takes place. And as the penetration of the sperm takes place, then new life is birthed. In the same way as in the natural, so in the spiritual. The same thing is taking place here in Song of Solomon. And some people, when the energy, in fact, I've had people Facebook me privately and say, you know, when I go into this meditation, I literally feel vibration in my body. Well, I do too. Not all the time, but sometimes I do. What is that? That's when the energy is released from the solar plexus, comes up the energy field, hits the seventh energy field, and as a result, what happens is the right hemisphere is thrown open, as we've said many, many times in this series, and also it causes the chrism to begin to flow because, you know, the chrism is made in a certain part of the brain. Chrism is simply just another word for anointing. It's another word for Christ. Another words that, uh, word that is closely uh, associated with that is colostrum. And it's when a mother is breastfeeding, and they say that in the, col and the colostrum is made in the brain as well, and then comes to the breast, but they say that when a mother is breastfeeding, that child is getting all of the nutrients. It's like the magic bullet. They're getting all the vitamins and all the nutrients. Well, listen. When the brain, that certain place in the brain where it makes the chrism or makes the colostrum, when the energy releases, the energy fields, the solar plexus releases the energy, it comes in contact and is associated with the colostrum that is made in the brain or the chrism that's made in the brain. And guess what happens? It's the best mineral, it's the best supplements that any person could ever get and experience. It energizes, you see because it gets the oil to flow from the pineal and the pituitary. And as we said before, you are then experiencing the land flown with milk and honey in your body. So we have all of these, you know, historical stories, and they're wonderful, of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and going through confusion or the 40 years, you know, going around, you know, the mountain for 40 long years in confusion. And finally they come into the promised land. And we've taught that just as something that happened to a group of you know, Israelite people. But let me just say it's happening within a people's bodies today. And, you know, religion has a hard time with this because, you know, we, you know, we say, well, you know, God wants our bodies well. He is the health of our body. But we don't want to talk about the scientific stuff that goes on within our bodies. We want to leave that alone. And we certainly don't want to talk about the constellations. 
And we certainly don't want to talk, you know, in the church about, uh, you, you know, the age of Aquarius. We certainly don't want to talk about that. But you know what? It's all a part of what is going on. It's us becoming one with nature. It's us becoming one with the universe. It's us realizing our oneness that we've always had with the Father and experiencing this that we're talking about, experiencing this oneness experientially. Now, in Psalm 91, if you want to turn there and follow along, I'm going to be reading there, but hang on all evening to Song of Solomon. But in Psalm 91 and verse 14, this is a story here of love and touching the inner part of our being, which then births the man-child or births the Christ. And that's what salvation is all about. That's what living the Christ life is all about. It's above religion. It's above appearances. It's above the five senses. It's being absent from the body and experientially present with the Lord. It's above anything. His love and his kisses are greater, much better than wine, much better than anything you could experience in the external realm. This is the ultimate. This is the ultimate of the Christ experience. But now notice in Psalm 91 and verse 14, it says, Because he hath set his love upon me, Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him, and he's talking about because we set our love upon him. He first loved us, so we now love him. And it says, because he set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Now in the past, the way I taught the word name, and we've, you know, we've all embraced this, that name simply means nature and character but let me just present to you tonight and i know i've said this before that to the mystical people of the east to the ancient people in mystical language name also means way in other words we have discovered the way another way of saying it is you have unlocked the door to the secret room on the right side and you've entered into that most holy place within you and it says there that because you have done this, because you have loved him, what has he done? He has set you on high. Now, what I hear in that is, I think it's First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, around verse 17, what people call the rapture. And they say, one day, you know, you know, Jesus is going to come back on a white horse, tooting a golden trumpet. He's going to physically come back to this earth, which you won't find anywhere in the scriptures. But he's going to come back, and he's going to rapture us out of this hell. Well, they don't say it that way, maybe, but he's going to rapture us out of here. And rapture is not even found in the Bible. It says caught up there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Caught up, and it's the Greek word harpazo, and that is exactly what we're talking about. To be set on high. He loved us, and we see that love that he's always had for us, and therefore we respond with that love. And it said there in Psalm 91, he sets us on high. He raptures us. This is an enraptured experience, just like a husband and wife in intimacy. It can be an enraptured experience, you see. And so this is what the rapture is talking about. It's not talking about flying away to some heavenly glory when, you know, Jesus comes back and we're just going to get the heck out of here and the rest of the world is going to go through a seven-year tribulation and all this stuff that's supposed to happen, you know, on the earth. No, we're talking about a harpazo, a loving with a love embrace. We're talking about a rapture while, we'll, while we are still here on terra firma. And it's an awesome experience. You know what? And people are beginning to experience that. They're not putting it off, 
you know, into the future anymore. More people are beginning to experience this than have ever experienced it before. They're being raptured right now. Right. Now, let's go back to Song of Solomon. And let's look at verse 3, chapter 1 and verse 3. Look what it says here. Song of Solomon 1.3 Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Now I was thinking today about the anointing back in the Old Testament when they'd anoint the priest, you know, and the king and so forth. There was an anointing that was poured on. There was an anointing that was smeared on. And then there was a, an anointing that was rubbed in. And to rub in denoted heat, friction, and pressure. But this is an anointing that is poured on. This is the second dimension, if you will. And we'll talk about the third a little bit later. Maybe not tonight, but maybe next time. But it says here, Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name, or thy way, is as ointment poured forth, Therefore, do the virgins love thee? Now, let me give you some definition before we talk about the virgins. The word savor here, because of the savor, savor means pleasure. In other words, his way is pleasure. His way is of enjoyment. His way of it is being raptured. His way is us being loved with a love embrace. Him doing that on the inside of us. Okay? So the word savor means pleasure. And then it goes on to say, because of the savor of thy good ointments, ointments there means divine love. In other words, what this is saying is, the pleasure of divine love appeals to the virgin part. Because notice it says, it's poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. Now, that part of the virgin, I believe, has to do with the left side. It has to do with us coming into the virgin consciousness, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. But virgin means pure, and it means white. And a virgin is one that longs for the beloved in you. There's a part over here, on the left side even, that longs for this experience of oneness. Even though it's received all the confusion... Even though it's received a lot of religiosity and false concepts, there's a part, even on the left side, that has been preserved, that virgin part. There's a bit of a virgin consciousness in there. See, and this is what it's talking about here. Do the virgins, therefore do the virgins love thee. In other words, that you desire to experience this oneness that we're talking about. And in scientific language, it's the energy again rising from the solar plexus up the spine in a serpentine-like motion. And of course, we know in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8, I believe it is, where it talks about the building of Solomon's temple, and we are Solomon's temple. Solomon means peace. It talks about going up the winding stairway, and what that is talking about is the energy that goes up the spine in that serpentine motion. It goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down. Now, we can also read where it talks about Aaron. Remember, Aaron gets anointed on the head. They pour the oil on the head of Aaron, and it goes down his beard and down to the skirts of the garment. What is that depicting to us? It is depicting to us that in the brain, this chrism is produced, or this colostrum is produced, and it trickles, it trickles down the body, 
and it comes to the solar plexus and then it rises as the energy because when Aaron's head, and notice his head was anointed, that's the place where this chrism, this anointing is produced, where this claustrum is produced within us in a certain part of our brain. And so they anointed the head of Aaron and it trickled down his beard, down to the skirts of the garment. In other words, the body. Amen. So that's what we can see in Aaron being anointed, the priest. He was being anointed on the head, but it went all the way down to the skirts of the garment, representing the body. So in other words, the chrism is made in our head, in our brain, and it trickles down to the solar plexus, and then it's formed into energy, and then it rises up the spine in a serpentine motion. And when it gets to the seventh, what does it do? But it throws open the right side, and it also affects the pineal and the pituitary, and we then are experiencing the land flowing with milk and honey. On the inside of us, folks, on the inside of us. Now, let me have you go, hang on to Song of Solomon, and go, if you want to follow along here, in Matthew 26 and verse 7. We see another picture here in Matthew 26, verse 7, and it was the woman that came and anointed Jesus for his burial, and she had oil in this alabaster box. Now, the alabaster box is that which points to purity, and it points to whiteness, purity and whiteness. And so what is happening here is the feminine principle is experiencing this oil. The feminine principle, in other words, this woman with this alabaster box came and anointed Jesus. And this is a, a great picture for us to see because notice what it says in Matthew 26 and verse 7. It says, There came unto him, unto Jesus, a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it, notice where, on his head as he sat at meat. And then verse 8 but when his disciples saw it, they, had, they were angry. They had indignation saying, what's the purpose of this? This expensive oil, you could have you know, sold it and helped the poor. And so they were bent out of shape because they did not understand. Even though they followed Jesus all around, they still did not understand. When this woman with the alabaster box with the oil came and anointed, notice, the head of Jesus. Because, see, when you sit in meditation and the ecstasy of the Spirit overtakes you, you are enraptured within yourself, and this is what people will look at you in religion and say, what a waste of time. Oh, wow. You're That's in good. meditation. Wow. You're experiencing the vibration, wow. the resonation, and the religious people. That's why they don't teach meditation, because wow. it's a waste of time to them. You might open yourself up to demons and devils. That's why they don't teach the constellations and the age of a court. They're afraid of that stuff. But we need, it's time that we deal with some of that and that we begin to look at some of that. See, and I, I was saying this uh, when I ministered this in Portland uh, on Sunday evening. I said, you know what? We are in the age of Aquarius according to the constellations. So we have good things that are coming out of that. And we have, and remember I shared with you when Jesus was serving the, uh, the disciples the bread and the wine. Where was he serving that? Well, he was serving that in a place, it says, that they were to come into the city or the higher consciousness. And it was a place where there was a man carrying a water pitcher. You see, and so what was that depictive of according to the constellations? It was depicting of the age of Aquarius. 
Now, the age of Aquarius means that there's good things going to happen externally. So what I'm trying to say here is it happens out there and it happens within us, so it's coming at us in all four directions. So how can the earth not get better? How can it not experience what it was created to be? How can we not experience walking in this fruit that remains? Because we have it coming at us in all directions. We can see it in the constellations. We can see it in the man carrying the water pitcher as being Christ and the water being the word, cleansing us and washing us. So let me read on here in verse 10 of Matthew 26, verse 7, where it talks about this woman anointing Jesus for his burial, and she puts, pours the anointing on his head. The disciples get all bent out of shape. They didn't have a clue, and they said, well, it's a waste of time. And then in verse 10 it says, When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why? trouble ye this woman for she hath wrought a good work upon me verses 11 through 13 state then for ye have the poor always with you but me ye will not always have for in this she hath poured this ointment on my body she did it for my burial verily i say unto you wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. In other words, it's going to, everyone in the world is going to hear about this woman bringing this alabaster box and anointing me for my burial. So what is that anointing representative of? It is representative, it is allegorical of the story of the fluid that comes from our brain called the chrism or called the colostrum that fills our bodies which is a life force that brings health to us, brings wealth to us, and causes all these wonderful things to take place within our lives. So you see, he comes down from the Father's house. See, where's the Father's house? Where's, where are the temple? And you physically, you point to your temples right here. See, so from the head, this is coming down, and then, as I said, it enters the solar plexus. It's made in a part of the brain. The chrism is made, the colostrum is made in a part of our brain. You see, and for the mothers, yes, it ends up in the breast so they can breastfeed the child. But it's in us as well. It's, it, it is produced within a certain part of our brain, and it comes down, it flows down the body, enters the solar plexus, and then rises up as the energy and brings health and wholeness to our bodies, energy, vibration to our bodies, and we can walk. This is the greatest supplement you and I, now I know there's supplements, you know, on the shelves in the health food stores and all kind of minerals and vitamins, and I'm not against any of that. But you know what? The highest way of doing this is what I'm talking about. Sure. Now, I believe, you know, we can take that stuff until we really come into the experience of this. Then I believe we won't need that stuff anymore. Right. Now, go back to Psalm 133 and verse 2. And this is the one that I was talking about where Aaron was concerned. Aaron's head was anointed with oil. Oil was poured on it. And it went down over the beard and down to the bottom of the garment or the skirts of the garment, which represents the oil that is produced within our brain. What does it do? It affects our physical bodies. It gets into the solar plexus and it rises up as energy and as life, you see, as the charism, as the anointing, as the Christ, you see. And we begin to experience this. Now, Christ is already in our bodies. We're spirits slowed down to visibility. But to experience it is what I'm talking about. I'm giving you the scientific way of saying how we experience this with that which is produced within parts of our brain. Now, listen to this in Psalm 133, verse 2. 
This is what it says about Aaron being anointed. It says, it is like the precious ointment, notice, upon the head, upon the head, that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. In other words, it comes down from above and it stimulates the entire body. See? And that's the name, folks. That's the Father's way. The Father's way is the oil that flows down and rises up and flows down and rises up and it opens up, you see, the right hemisphere and causes, you know, the pineal and the pituitary to function as they were designed to function and it brings health, healing, it brings life, energy to the physical body. So when we come, now here's the prerequisite, when you and I come and open ourselves up and lift ourselves into the upper room of the higher consciousness, and we meditate, and especially there's just something, there's a key about meditating at night in the darkness. Meditation is really symbolic of, of darkness. It's, it's really a discipline that we go through. It's really laying down our life. You know, the scripture says if we seek to save our life, we lose it. If we lay it down, we, we save it. And part of that is involved in meditation. I know people in grace say, well, there's nothing you have to do. Well, it's true. There's nothing you have to do to get the all things that we already have. But there is something we do in the power of the Spirit and the energy of the Spirit to experience these things and to walk in these things. Now, as I said, the meditation, especially in the darkness, especially at night, is what gets the, uh, the melatonin to flow. And we've said many times, what does the melatonin do? Well, scientifically, they're finding out more and more about melatonin. What does it do? It gets rid of cancer cells. It balances the circadian rhythm. They're now saying if you have heart blockages, it can move the heart blockages out and it lightens the skin. Well, of course it's going to lighten the skin. If your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light, you see. So these are not fairy tales. I mean, these are things we need to begin to actually look into. Now, if you go back to Song of Solomon, the rest of verse 3 of Song of Solomon 1, the last part of verse 3 says, Therefore do the virgins love thee. Why do the virgins love thee? Because, listen, this is only accessible to those who are in the virgin consciousness. Meaning what? Only when we have separated from being governed by the five senses will the virgin consciousness rise, and it can only happen in the virgin consciousness. It cannot happen while we're judging things by the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. There has to be, and that's what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was he doing? He was praying. He was meditating. He was separating himself from the five senses because he finally came to the place where he said, Father, not my will, not what my five senses are trying to dictate to me to do, but according to your will, Father. He separated from the five senses. So it's separating from the five senses, you see, where it says, Therefore do the virgins love thee. Only when we have separated from the lower thoughts of the mind can this virgin consciousness come forth and then we can experience this love feast. Now, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23, let me just share this with you. In Matthew 6, 23, notice the first word there, and I've already quoted this, but listen to the first word, if, if thine eye be single. If, and only if, thine eye be single, will the whole body be full of light. And then in that same chapter, in verses 25 through 33, Jesus said five times, the number of grace, five times, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought. 
What does that mean? We become as a little child. Remember the illustration I gave you of the little child? Mom and dad can be talking about how they don't have enough money to pay the bills and they have this problem and that problem. And the kids on the floor playing with the toys, not taking any thought of what mom and dad are talking about. It doesn't care. It doesn't have the capacity to care in the first place. See, and we're coming to the place to we, where we don't have the capacity to care because we're so enraptured in what we're talking about here in Song of Solomon. So then it brings us to the place in Revelation chapter 14 where it talks about the virgins and only the virgins can partake of what we're talking about. Wow. Only the virgins. Once we've been separated from the five senses, being governed by the five senses, as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, does the virgin consciousness, that part that has been preserved even in the left hemisphere, the left part, that part that has been preserved can begin to come forth with the consciousness of the virgin or the virgin consciousness. And as that takes place, what happens is that is when spirit is going to intercourse with the left side, with the virgin. Because what has happened? She's gotten naked. And so there can be a penetration then of the seed or the sperma of the word of God into this feminine spiritual principle here that's in the left hemisphere. So the two then can birth babies. And the baby at birth is the man child. Well, it's not a baby, but it's a he. The he of thee can be birthed then. That's the good news, folks. Isn't that good news? As in the natural, so in the spiritual. Same thing happens in the natural between a husband and a wife. In intimacy. You know, uh, the scripture where they came to Jesus and said, oh, we casted out devils and we healed and we did this and that. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't acquainted with them. The word knew means a relationship of intimacy. He didn't know them on that level. He was acquainted with them, but he did not, they did not know him on that level. And he did not, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you on that level is what he was saying. See, wasn't talking about they're going to go to hell or whatever. You know, wasn't talking about that at all. It was talking about the fact that he never, they never came. All they were involved in was the gifts. That's all they cared about, the holy place dimension. You know, just miracles and signs and wonders. And thank God for all those things. I'm not throwing them away. I'm just simply saying there has to be something greater than that and deeper than that going on in our lives. Now, look at verse 4, Song of Solomon 1. Verse 4 says, draw me. We will run after thee. So when we sense that stimulation, what do we do? We hasten to the center. I do that several times a day, especially, and sometimes not whenever, uh, even whenever I, I feel the drawing or that sensitivity. Uh, numerous times of the day. You know, it says David prayed, what, three times a day? And it talked about different ones and, you know, that would pray or meditate, same word. Uh, so many times a day, you see, three, four times a day. I think it talks about Abraham doing that and definitely Daniel uh, praying so many times a day. But the point is this. Let me read that again. He says, draw me, draw me, we will run after thee. So when we sense him drawing us within ourselves, that's when we need to drop everything, even if we just go to the bathroom for three seconds. I mean, everybody has to go to the bathroom, right? Sometimes that's the best place to meditate because everybody has to go there. <laughs> go over there in the quiet and begin to meditate. So when you feel that stimulation or that drawing, that's when you need to participate in the purposeful meditation. See, And then there's the spontaneous meditation when an appearance realm looms up before you. And instead of reacting, you know, by what you're seeing and what you're fe feeling, just for just a few seconds, just turn within yourself and just acknowledge 
my answer, as Job said, lies within me. It's within me. It's not out here. My answer is within me, you see. And as we do that, instead of then reacting, we'll respond to that situation and we'll view it as a non-power. We'll see it as something, as Isaiah said, that's nothing and even less than nothing. We'll see it as Hezekiah said, it is an arm of flesh. That's all it is. See, once we just quiet ourselves down, even just for a few seconds, but that's what he's talking about there, where he says, draw me, we will run after thee, especially when we feel that stimulation and that drawing from within ourselves. That's when we need to go into that place of, of meditation, no matter how long that we're in that place. Now, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, let me read this scripture to you because this again has been kind of ministered by religion as something that really it's not saying. And that's in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Here's what it says. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come into him and sup with him. Now, he's not talking about coming into your life as far as, you know, you accepting Christ as your Savior and, and all of that. He's knocking on the left side. From the right to the left, he's knocking. And what he's saying, and back in these days, the latchet to open the door was on the inside. wasn't on the outside. Didn't have a doorknob on the outside. They had doorknobs on the inside. So you had to open the door from the inside. So he's standing at the door here, the opening, our opening here. How many know a womb has an opening? In the natural and in the spiritual. For the sperma to get in there and impregnate the womb. And so he's knocking at the opening, you see, of this door. And we must open it from the inside. And notice what he says he's going to do. He's going to come in and he's going to sup with us. Now, what does he sup with us over? The word. He's revealing the truth to us. He's revealing the word to us. And our spirit is quickening that word unto us. So that's what it's saying in Revelation 3 and verse 20. I stay, I'm knocking. He's Listen, he's always rapping at the door. He's always speaking. We're just not always hearing. He's always stimulating us from the inside. He's always bringing a word to us. But he wants us, when he says here in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. That's that drawing to get us to open from the inside so that he can come and bring the sperma of the word and impregnate the womb of our spirit on the left side. So the two then can experience that oneness and birth life. Now, that scripture that I quoted to you before in 1 Kings 6, 8, let me just read this to you. And we've looked at this before. This is the building of the temple of Solomon. And how many know David couldn't build the house of God because he, he was a man of war. He had bloody hands. But Solomon, his son, was able to. His name means peace. And Solomon represents this house, the house not made with hands, you all. Right. Eternal in the heavens. That's what Solomon represents. He represents a man of peace, not a man of war. He represents a man of peace. And so he was allowed to build the house of God, which represents you and I. But notice what it says there. It refers to the door, to the middle chamber, being in the right side of the house. You're the house. you got a right side, okay? And it says, they went up with winding stairs into the middle chamber and out of the middle chamber into the third. What that's talking about is that energy as a serp you know, in a serpentine motion that rises up the spine 
once we acknowledge the truth of the word and the spirit on the right side, the Christ mind, the single eye, then what happens? It comes over here to the left side. And what does it do on the left side? It begins to cause us to experience the third, as it says there, the middle chamber and also the third. In other words, this side experiences the most holiest. This side experiences the highest experience that we could ever experience. That side experiences the impregnation of the sperm of God and of the word of God. So that something can be birthed. So that Christ's nature can be birthed out of us. So his love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, faith, all of that can be seen, you see, and not only seen, you know, by other people, but even seen and recognized by us. We see it. We see that we are birthing this fruit that remains. Now, look what it goes on to say in the rest of that verse uh, of Song of Solomon 1, verse 4. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. The king has brought... See, because when the two become one, there's a rejoicing. There's a feast. To me, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. You have Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. What is Tabernacles? I know the church teaches religiously that Tabernacles is when Jesus comes back on the white horse tooting his golden trumpet, getting ready to set up his kingdom. They call that the physical coming of the Lord. That's what they teach Tabernacles as. But Tabernacles is he tabernacling with us, both the right and the left side being one, experientially being one. Now, let me have you go back to Matthew chapter 9 Matthew chapter 9 hang on to Song of Solomon in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15 here we find a very interesting verse of scripture that has to do with the bridegroom the right and with the bride the left side Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15 notice what it says there and Jesus said unto them can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Listen to this carefully. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, then shall they fast. In other words, when is the bridegroom taken from people? Now, he's not taken from them, but from their consciousness. When is the bridegroom taken from our consciousness? When we embrace a bunch of lies and religious ideas. <laughs> I love it. And so what do we have to do? <clears throat> we need to fast from the old religious ideas. That's what it's talking about there. Let me read that again. Can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, from their awareness because of all the lies they've embraced, Amen. the false, yeah. false ideas and concepts they've embraced. And then it says, and then shall they fast. Fast from what? Fast from all the concepts. Then guess what? He comes back into their awareness again. And how does that happen? By taking no thought. Taking no thought of the religious ideas. Taking no thought of what religion has ministered to us and said to us. Now, this chamber is referring to the bridal chamber. When we start to energize the Christ mind, we enter then into the bridal chamber, and in the bridal chamber is where the wedding is consummated. Now, for clarification, let me say this again. You've always been married to him. You've never been apart from him. But we're not always walking in that experientially. And the reason we haven't been walking in that experientially is because we have not had the consciousness of the bridegroom. 
Once we come into the virgin consciousness and the consciousness of the bridegroom, and we had the separation to some degree from the five senses, then is when the bridegroom can impregnate us. That is when there can be a conception that takes place. That is when there can be a penetration that takes place. That is when, because we've gotten naked of all the religious ideas, at least some of the religious ideas that we've been taught, that is when he can come in and the marriage can be consummated. Now, let me ask you this question. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to speak for myself. Maybe you haven't experienced this to the degree that I have, but in 1 Corinthians, and maybe you have, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it taught, in fact, why don't you go there, 2 Corinthians, did I say first? I meant second. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. And it's talking about, we're talking about entering into the virgin consciousness. But notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. How many? One, one, one. husband. One. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. <laughs> so what is that talking about? I've espoused you to one husband. I'm your husband, but you have made your five senses your husband. Hello. Okay. And that's what Adam did, and that's why he experienced what he experienced, and 900 and some years later he ended up croaking, because what did he do? He didn't allow his father, his inner being, to be husband, but he began to look at the five senses and judge things according to the, the outer realm. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I have experienced this, and I'm beginning to experience this more and more where I'm realizing I have always been married to Christ. Come on. Have always been married to Christ. Yes. I've never been separate from him. Sister, you have never been separate. John, right. you've never been separate. You have not, Janos, you have never been separate from Christ. None of us have ever been. He's always been our husband. But you know what? That wasn't good enough. We chose another husband. <laughs> which was our five senses. <laughs> which was our five senses. And we became married in our consciousness to the five senses. Yeah. How it looks and how it feels and how impossible it is. Wow. When there's nothing that's impossible. In God, with man there are things that are impossible, but with God there's nothing that's impossible. Man. Now, back to Song of Solomon, verse 4. Let me finish that. Verse 4, Song of Solomon 1. Draw me, we will run after thee. The, listen to this. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Oh, yeah. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. Listen to this. This is what's going to happen. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. So, in other words, when we are experiencing this, what I'm talking about, there is a remembering that comes to our awareness. And you know what? That's what born again means. In the Aramaic, it means to remember your beginning. It doesn't mean to walk the aisle, confess your sin, accept Jesus into your heart. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is we are now remembering our origin. We're remembering from whence we came. Listen, if we don't know and begin to remember from where we came, we don't know where we're going. Come on. We'll never know where we're going. If we do not understand our origin, if we don't understand that we were always in him, even before we had a physical body, we were in him. He chose us, he saved us, he called us, made us righteous and holy, and all of that. And that's what born again is. And so as he brings us into this 
upper room, as he brings us by the Spirit into this upper room, because we have, you know, we have chosen to go after him within us, then we begin to remember some things. We begin to know some things about our true origin that we just frankly forgot because we embraced religion. Now, look what it says in verse 5 now. I'm almost at the end tonight, but verse 5, look what it says. I, this, is the, this is the woman now saying, and you know, and our, our left side probably says this sometimes too. In fact, I know she does. Verse 5 of Song of Solomon 1 says, I am black but comely. Now, black there is not designating African. It's not designating, you know, a color as red, white, white, black, blue, whatever. Listen to this. Black hair means, and this verse means, the intellect. The intellect. In other words, the intellect, oh yes, I know some truth. I know it intellectually, but I have not yet come to the place to where it has become a living experience within my life. I'm still, you know, trying to remember these verses of Scripture. I'm still just, you know, intellectually knowing some things. It hasn't really been quickened to me yet. And then the word calmly, where it says, but calmly, calmly means not understanding yet. I know I have the potential to experience this oneness, but I'm still in the intellectual knowing of these things. You see, calmly. I know there's a potential, but I'm not fully experiencing, you see, this marriage experientially. That's what it means where it says, I am black, but calmly. And notice verse 5. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, listen to this, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Now, the daughters of Jerusalem represent, the daughters of Jerusalem are the godly desires of the holy place. The godly desires of the holy place. The daughters of Jerusalem represent emotions, it represents the godly desires of the holy place, or it represents realizing that there's something more, but I'm still out here, you know, just in the intellectualism of all of this truth. And the daughters of Jerusalem are where most people are in the church today, healings and signs and wonders and miracles, rather than realizing, listen, I can draw out of my own well. Physician, heal thyself. He is the health of my body as me. So the daughters of Jerusalem, and remember one place, we're going to see it later, where the daughters of Jerusalem came to the Shulamite and said, well, why do you think your king is better than ours? You know why? It was just an intellectual thing to them. It hadn't been something that had been quickened within them. See? They were black. See? But calmly knew there was a potential there, you see, but hadn't quite come to that point yet in their realization and in their understanding. Then in verse 5, the rest of it says, where it refers to the tents of Kedar, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar and the curtains of Solomon. The tents of Kedar and the curtains of Solomon here, what does this represent? It simply represents the fact that they were black because they were black as well. They symbolize that which is the intellect which stops you from entering into the most holy place. It represents that place where you have, you've just held it in your, you know, like Paul talked about the fact that knowledge puffs up. It was puffing them up, and as a result of that puffing them up, that intellectual knowledge, they were not able to really penetrate and go all the way in and experience this. I've been there. We've all been there. Absolutely we've been there. Absolutely we've been there. Now, it states in Matthew 27, 5, that when Jesus was crucified, it says, 
that the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Because listen, when you enter into the experience in the inner chamber, you have the separation. Remember Mount Calvary and Golgotha meant the skull when we talked about that? So the veil being rent from the top to the bottom simply represents that you have not completely entered in to the very fullness, you see, of the right side into the left side. Of course. See, there, there's still some religiosity there. There's still some confusion there. See, it hasn't, it hasn't been separated completely in your thinking. You're still black but calmly. In other words, you're still holding it in the intellectual aspect of your mind, but yet you know there's a greater potential for me to experience. That's what it's talking about when it talks about the tents of Kedar, the tents of Kedar and the curtains of Solomon. It's, they were black because they symbolize that which is the intellect which stops you from entering into the most holiest place in your experience within you. Now, verse 6. Verse 6 in closing. Look not upon me, because I am black. She's saying this. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. In other words, I have been touched by the higher consciousness, but I have not been able to rise above the level of my intellect yet. But don't give up on me, because I know there's a potential there. Keep hanging with me. Keep drawing me, because... Even though I'm still over here in my intellectual aspect of knowing of the truth, I know there's a potential for me to experience more. Wow. And then it goes on and it tells us why. Why can't you seem to rise above the intellect? That's where a lot of people are. Why can't you seem to rise above the, the intellect? Why can't you seem to rise above the intellect of the left side? Verse 6 tells us, my mother's children were angry with me. Now, mother's here denotes emotions. And the children represents the desires of the emotions. The reason why I have not been able to rise up higher and experience the consummation of the two becoming one is because of my emotions and the desires of my emotions. Not only the intellect, but even the emotions. And actually, the two are pretty much welded together. Now, the rest of verse 6 says, gives us a little more on this, they made me the keeper. This is why. Because of my emotions, because of the desires of my emotions, they held me up and I wasn't able to break through that. And then it goes on to say, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Now, what are vineyards? What do uh, vineyards represent symbolically and metaphorically to us? They represent the thoughts where the thoughts grow, in other words. They represent our mindset and the growing of the thoughts and the traditions and the dogmas of mankind. But look what it says here. I kept, verse 6, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard I have not kept. Now let me give you two sets of scriptures, and I'm going to close. Two sets of scriptures. Go to Psalm 80 and verse 15. So, she could not rise above the intellect. That's why she wasn't experiencing this that we're talking about. Why? What was a big part of that? It was because of the emotions and the desires of the emotions. And it was because, as the rest of verse 6 says, the last part of verse 6, they made me the keeper of the vineyards. I was keeping all of these thoughts of religiosity. That's what vineyards mean, your thoughts. The dogmas, traditions of man. They made me the keeper, religion made me the keeper of the vineyards, the religious thoughts, 
the religious ideas, the religious concepts, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. In other words, I didn't, I listened to the religious concepts and I didn't develop my own vineyard. I didn't live from the inside out. I didn't live by the Christ mind. I didn't seek to live from the inside out. And that's why she wasn't able at that time to experience. Now listen to Psalm 80 and verse 15. And the vineyard where thy right hand hath planted, and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch which thou madest strong for thyself. So the vineyard on the right side has been neglected, but the vineyard on the left side received all of the dogmas and the traditions and the concepts and the rituals of man. And that's what prevented her from experiencing this. Now, let's look at something that I want you to look at this in Jeremiah 12 and verse 10 in closing. Let me show you what has happened to so many people's vineyards. What has happened to the vineyards? Now, Again, we can't blame pastors and, you know, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors. We can't blame them because we could have kept our own vineyard. You see? We could have kept our own vineyard. We didn't have to listen to the dogmas of men, the traditions, and all of that. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. They, religion, made me keep their dogmas and rules and regulations. But my own vineyard, I didn't keep. In other words, I didn't choose to live from the inside out. I chose to listen to what they were telling me. That's what's being said there. And then Psalm 80, 15 says, And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. For thyself. See, for thyself. Now, listen to Jeremiah 12 and verse 10. I'm gonna, I promise you I'll close with this. No. Notice what it says, Jeremiah 12. Many pastors... Have destroyed the vineyard. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Now again, if we'd have kept our own vineyard and not listened to the left side, see, if we, as it says there in verse six, Song of Solomon one, they made me. They didn't make us keepers of their vineyards on the left side of religion, rules, regulations. We could have made a different choice, and we could have chose to. But you see, we weren't. Mature enough? Right. You see, we, weren't, we hadn't awakened enough to do that yet. So we fell prey to what religion and religious pastors have said. So look what it says there. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate because no man laid it to heart or no man took it serious. Read that to the first church of the Frigidaire. (laughs) (laughs) They won't be too happy with you. That's cold. (laughs) That's cold, yeah. But, But listen, we didn't have to listen to the... We didn't have to listen. You know, as it says back there again in the Song of Solomon 1, 6, they made me keeper of the vineyard. They did? Well, they did because we hadn't grown up very much. We hadn't awakened yet, see? But mine own vineyard have I not kept, she said. And so what we see here in Jeremiah chapter 12 is, yes, the pastors influenced us. <clears throat> the apostles, the prophets, so-called, they influenced us. And we listened we listened. But thank God those days are over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Thank God those days are over. We are finally beginning to realize, yes, we need the ministry. Yes, I'm not putting that down whatsoever. But a lot of times they just want us to believe what they want us to believe to keep us under their thumb. And it's not about religion, folks. It's not even about going to church. Uh, that's great. I mean, we do that because we want to. We want to fellowship with people. But it's not about any of that. It is about keeping your own vineyard. It's about living from the right side, from the inside out. It's about the Christ mind. It's about the spontaneous and purposeful meditation. It's about living from the inside. It's about keeping our own vineyard. It's about listening to the Spirit. And you know what? I don't care what any pastor or evangelist pastor, I don't care what anyone ministers to you, even if it is the truth, it still has to be made real to you from your own spirit. Amen. It has Amen. to be made real to you from your own spirit. So that's why I've been saying off and on lately, you know, I'm not trying to get you to believe what I believe. I minister what I minister now to hopefully inspire you to think for yourself and keep your own vineyard by living from the inside out. Father, we thank you for your presence, for this people, for your word, for our spirit. Thank you that you've blessed us and given us everything that we need to live and walk and experience the Christ life that we are. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection that exposed the lies and revealed the truth and continues to reveal the truth to our awareness. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of the Lord, amen.